Amen. Well, good morning. A couple of announcements I want to mention. As you know, next Sunday we'll start our VBS uh, here at East Hillsville Baptist Church. And I have just a, several announcements Justin wants me to mention. If you can help decorate during the day or in the evenings this week, please contact Justin or Amber Keever. And as you know, our church is quite large, and our church is always decorated really nice for VBS. So if you could help with that, please contact either of those two. Also, a volunteer meeting will be next Sunday in this building at 5 p.m. for a time of prayer and last-minute questions. Both participant and volunteer registration is online until 1 p.m. next Sunday, so you can still register. And also, volunteer t-shirts are available today in the fellowship hall, so if that involves you, please go by and get one of those. I also want to mention, if you'll look in your bulletin, we'll have a special called business meeting on July 24th for the purpose of voting on deacons, uh, and, and that service will be in the sanctuary on that Sunday morning, so you can look in the bulletin for those names of men that you'll be voting on. And also, we this morning in our deacons meeting, we voted on the, the upcoming church year budget, and those will be available next week as well, and then we'll vote on that the last Sunday in August, okay? And then if you have any questions about your budget, you can contact myself or Kevin or anybody on the budget finance committee. Uh, you'll also be available to, they'll be available for two weeks prior to the business meeting in the Jennings uh, Building Conference Room, which is there to my right. If you'd like to ask any questions about the budget, uh, we try to be as open, as honest as we can be, so you have a right to ask those questions, and we, we encourage you to do that, okay? So right now, with everybody with a smile on your face, please stand and welcome one another to the house of the Lord this morning.
I'm reminded in what Peter wrote. He said, cast all your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. I want to invite you this morning to come and and join me in prayer this morning as we pray for several things. Last week I mentioned John Walsher's family. John passed away. Jamie and I will be doing his services this, this Friday. And I want you to remember them and his passing. Also, I want to remember those in our, our church family who've lost loved ones. You know, it's, it's hard when you lose those you love. But when you know where they're at, you can rejoice with them. I want to invite you this morning and come and, and join me in prayer. Would you come this morning? We're so grateful that we can cast all our care upon you, for you care for us. Lord, you not only care for us, but you live in us. You help us, Father, when we go through times of sorrow and grief. You promised in your word that you're the God of all comfort, and you are. And we want to thank you for that. Lord, you never leave us, you never forsake us, you walk with us through the good times and the bad. You're faithful, and we want to thank you for your faithfulness this morning. And God, we want to thank you for being here this morning. Not only do you live in our hearts, but you live in our presence. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you're here. You're a very present help in a time of need and trouble. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. And Father, we want to pray for John and his family. Lord, in his passing, I pray you bring them great comfort. And Lord, for those in our church family who've lost loved ones this past week, we pray you continue to be with them, Lord, as memories flood their life of their loved one. And Lord, I pray you just give them peace and comfort through the days and the days to come. And Father, we just want to pray that you'd bless this time of service. Father, may we lift up our hearts to you. Pray for, Lord, this time that, God, we, you truly may be worshipped in spirit and truth. And Father, we pray for our nation. Lord, as we celebrate its independence this past week, and Father, we are grateful for a nation that's put their trust in you. Help us to do the same every day. And Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you will, stand with me out of respect for God's Word. We're going to be talking about the Bible again this morning. The question we're going to be asking ourselves is this, and answering is, why do we preach the Bible? Do you realize that there are a lot of churches in America today that very rarely open their Bible? Very rarely do they open their Bible. And if they do open their Bible, very rarely do they preach verses in the Bible. A lot of times churches will take verses, they'll take them out of the chapter that it's written in, and then they'll preach a sermon around that text. And oftentimes, if you know the Bible, you'll say, well, that's not what the verse is talking about. A lot of devotions in America today, this is why I like devotions, but I don't like them. Because a lot of times somebody will take verses of Scripture, put them on a page, and then write their thoughts about that verse, and it has nothing to do with the chapter it's part of. You've hijacked the verse. That's not what the verse means. And somebody's giving you their opinion on what that verse means, and that's not biblical. Matter of fact, the Bible calls that a false teaching. Why do we at East Hillsville Baptist Church preach the Bible? Why do our Sunday school teachers teach the Bible? Why do our Awana workers encourage your children to memorize the Bible? Do you realize that Gallup just did a poll and that 20% of Americans have a biblical worldview? Now, the other week, I told you about how 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. 7 to 14% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview. Is it any wonder our nation is where it is? I think in the 90s, Billy Graham said, if God does not judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Imagine if he was alive today. How does that happen? Because one of the reasons is, is that pastors stand in a pulpit Sometimes the book is open, all right? They have, a, they have a church book, but they never preach the Bible. I would never belong to a church that did not preach the Bible, ever. And if I would die tomorrow and East tells or hires a pastor who doesn't preach the Bible, I would either tell the deacons to get rid of him or I'd go to another church, amen? This book, this book is, what? listen, if you're not going to preach this, what are you going to preach? Do you care about my opinion? Does it really matter? I don't care about yours as much. On some things I do. Spiritual matters. I don't know what the book says. Amen? I want to know what the Bible says. Why do we preach the Bible? Look at what Paul says in verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. For what reason? And he says this. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now stop right there and look at me. This is the Word of God. That's amazing. God is the author and architect of this book. There's not another book on the planet like this one. I read books, fiction books every night. Something. Okay? It puts me to sleep. All right? But there's never been a book that's touched me like this book has. Ever. I've read some of the bestsellers. I've never read a book written by a person that changed my life. Why would I preach any other book? Why would you be a part of a church that did not preach the book? Paul says, for this reason, you welcomed it, you received it, you believed it, not as men, but as the Word of God. And then he says, look at what the book does, which also effectively works in you who believe. Look, look, hey, is God doing anything in your life? It's a direct result of what you, how much time you spend in this book. It's the, look at that word, effectively works. 
God's word is alive. It works in your life. Every time you hear it, God said his word will not return void. His word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword every time you open it. There's not another book on the planet that does that for you. This book, Paul says, when it's preached, read, and taught, it works effectively in those who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their prophets and have persecuted us. They do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Now notice what Paul says. He's basically saying this. You have imitated the churches in, really in Israel and Jerusalem. They were persecuted. You're imitating their faith. You're suffering and you're able to endure because you believe the book. And then he says this. Look at the, the, the judgment on non-believers and those who hinder the gospel. He says this. He says, forbidding us to speak, that's what they did, to the Gentiles that they may be saved, which is a grave offense, by the way. Anybody that tries to outlaw the gospel or stop people from witnessing, they do not please God, the Bible says, and they're basically doing the work of Satan. That's what he says. So as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And if you read on down, we're not going to do, but in verse 18 he says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. And basically, if you understand the context, what Paul is saying is this, anybody who would hinder the preaching of the word, the witnessing, the sharing of the word to anybody that's lost, you're doing the work of Satan. And he says this, God's wrath will come upon them to the utmost, is what he says. To the utmost. Why do we preach God's word? Because it, why do we preach the Bible? Because it's God's word. It changes lives. Only God's word can help you to uh, persevere and have spiritual endurance. And because God's word is the only book on the planet that promises a judgment to come. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that even as a Christian, I would receive this word today. I would welcome it and I would believe in it. Father, if there's anyone here today that's not born again, Lord, all that your word can do for them is to bring conviction about their lost state. And I pray that you would do that through the preaching, praying, Father, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we talked last week, your word, you through the Spirit, can illuminate the scriptures to a saved person and a lost person. And that's my prayer for anyone here today who has never placed their faith and trust in you. Because, Father, if I understand verse 16 correctly, for every person that is lost, there comes a day of wrath where their sin has been, has, they've sinned to the point that that's the end. And then judgment comes. And Father, I pray that today would be a great warning for anyone here today that's lost. Whether they watch this on our webpage later, watching it live today, uh, in person or online, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And Father, I pray that the Word would do the things that only the Word can do in conjunction with the Spirit and preaching. Father, you do your work and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. One, one pastor said this, In the midst of flux and change, one thing remains absolutely unchangeable. The word of the living God. The message of the Bible never alters. It is always up to date, speaking to the issues of every age. The Bible is like a solid rock in the midst of the desert of shifting sand. It's the most precious object on the earth today. Jesus said this when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of his sermon, he made this statement. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, which would be 
concluding the Bible, okay, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and they did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Two homes, two foundations, two responses to the words of Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say, So it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The spoken word of God has an inherent power to change lives. Mac Brunson said this, and I've shared this with you before. Life and death, eternity and worlds unknown, may hang on the preaching and hearing of one sermon. Do you believe that? I do. I do. I remember being at Millersville Baptist Church as a lost person and hearing one sermon. And that day, that day really, really for the first time, as a 20-year-old young man, I was lost and I knew it. The most salvation, the day I was saved, was the most blessed day. The second most blessed day was the day I got lost. And it came through hearing the preaching of the Word of God. Sitting in a church, lost, and I heard it. Didn't understand a lot about it, but I understood that I was lost. The Word of God has a living quality about it. As it enters the heart of man, it begins doing its work in our lives. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, the spoken Word of God has an inherent power to change. That's why Paul is so thankful when he writes to the church at Thessalonica. He doesn't have many bad things to say. He said, I'm so thankful because of how you responded to the preaching of the gospel. Stephen Lawson said this, the pastor who cares about the spiritual growth of his people must make God and His Word the centerpiece of His ministry. Why do we preach the Bible? Paul gives us four facts about the Bible from this scripture. The first one is this, which is so obvious. It is God's Word. Notice verse 13. He says this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Paul says, I'm so ecstatic. Because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Look at the word receive and welcomed. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. You believe that or you don't. Now listen to this. We talked about this last week, and I preached a message on the Bible not long ago. If this is God's word, if this is really God's word, and it has the power to do all the things I'm going to tell you today, why would you not spend time reading it? Why would you not spend time in a Sunday school class hearing it taught? We have great teachers here. Good teachers here. Why would you not, if you're married, why would you not... Add that to your marriage, Sunday school and Sunday morning worship. I mean, why would you not add that to your life? It's, it's amazing what people will do to change their lives, okay? I know people that will spend all this money on a trainer, weights, eating programs to change your life. Good for you if that's what you want to do. Think about it spiritually. Why would you not add something that's free? To set under the teaching of God's word that can change your life. I just don't understand it. He said, when you, you heard it, you understood that this was God's word. He says, you understand that this is God's word. One, one scholar, I think it was John MacArthur, said this. It was God's word to them. It wasn't the words of Paul. It wasn't the words of some committee. It wasn't a consensus. It was something that he, they had received from someone else as God's word. This is used over and over again in the book of Acts. In Acts 18, verse 14, for example, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem 
heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they had to send Peter and John to them. Then in Acts 13, 44, Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says this, the whole city assembled to hear them and the word of God. The whole city. They were amazed. This is God's work. We've heard about God. We've always kind of believed in God because God has put eternity in the heart of men. But this is God's word. He wrote a book. It's amazing, this. When the apostles spoke, it wasn't human opinion. Stephen Davies says this about Thessalonica. They were the crossroads of the world, Thessalonica was. I showed you the map last week. They were in a great port. You had cities, uh, roads that went in. You had ships that went in. They had a population of 200,000. Then they had travelers, what you call people that would come and stay for a while and leave. At that crossroads, crossroads was all the theology and philosophy of the world. He goes on to say this, The spreaders of every false philosophy around and every satanic darkness would arrive at that place to capture and beguile souls of men along with their sexual favors, their money, their possessions. And so it was a hotbed of human oratory, wisdom, rhetoric, and satanic false teaching. Kind of sounds like Twitter, don't it? He says, Paul says, you heard what we said and you heard it as God's message. When Paul was preaching in the synagogues of that day for three Sabbaths, probably for hours. He said he explained and reasoned with the people. They went, this is not like what we hear out in the public. Something's different about this. Something, something's authoritative. Something is truth. It's truth. Have you ever sat under a teacher in school and you understood they're telling me the truth? And if they can teach, it's amazing. I love to hear it. Now, there's nothing like spiritual teaching when you understand that's the truth. The folks in Thessalonica would go to a synagogue and hear this rote Jewish tradition. Then they heard about Jesus, and they said, I accept that as the Word of God. You cannot be saved if you don't receive this book as the Word of God. You can't. You, got, you receive Jesus, but you know about Jesus because of what? The Bible. That's what he's saying. And when they heard this, they were astonished. This is not like what we've been hearing. This is not satanic. This is not philosophy. There is only one God. He's spoken in one book. All other supposed revelations from God are not from God. None of them are. Absolutely none of them. They are the concoctions of men and for the most part demon inspired. The Koran is not of God. The Book of Mormon is not of God. Other writings are all man-made. They're not of God. You have one God, one Savior, one Holy Spirit, and one Bible. Amen? They received this as the truth. They didn't add this to the truths that they thought they knew or another philosophy or religion. They received this as the only one. That's what that means. And God says because of that, they were born again. That's why Paul says, for this reason, I'm so ecstatic about you. Because Paul understood that if you get some people that are born again who know God's word, who, sit under, who, who understand it, they can share that word with other people, and so they did. Romans 10, 17 says this. Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 also says this, you must believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So you receive the word intellectually and internally. You've got to have them both. Intellectually and internally. You have to receive it both ways. See, you, I had head knowledge about Jesus and believed that there was a Jesus. I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead but I was lost because I received it intellectually. I never received it internally until I was 20 years old. And then I embraced it for myself. 
I repented of my sin of lostness and trusting in myself for my own salvation and placed my faith and trust in Jesus. Because somebody shared the gospel from God's word with me and I received it, I welcomed it, and I believed it. And I do every day of my life. I embraced it. So you must receive the word intellectually and also internally. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you're saved. It's got to be both. It's not either or, it's both and. See, the devils believe and tremble. These people believed it. Notice what Paul says. This is what the Word of God does. What you've heard from us, welcome it not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God. Well, let me, let me explain this to you. Romans seven twelve says this, God's Word is holy, righteous, and good. That's why God told Moses, do not add to the Scripture. In Revelation, Jesus says this, Do not add to the Scripture, do not take away from the Scripture, because it is total, complete, and infallible. Don't add to it, don't take away from it. That's why when you preach, you preach the Bible. And if you preach it verse by verse in context, you don't add to it, you don't take away from it. Jesus said this, The Scripture cannot be broken. It's like a chain. All the verses are linked. All the chapters are linked. All the 66 books are linked. The Testaments, old and new, are linked, and there is nowhere where it can be broken. John MacArthur says, For all generations through human history, what God has said, He has put in this book. One book made up of two sections, the Old and New Testament. Sixty-six specific books given to over 40 writers over a period of 1,500 years. The Holy Spirit authored all of it, put it all together in what we know today as the Bible. It is, the establ it is established as a sole divine authority on God's Word. That is why it's the singular duty of man to respond obediently to this book. So this book is the God's Word, and secondly, this book, it changes lives. Notice what the verse says in verse 13. Listen to how they receive it. The Word of God, which also effectively works in you. See, this book is not empty, it's not impotent, it's not, in, it, it's not like the Word of men. Verse 13 says, which also, in another translation, performs its work in you who believe. That word performs means this. It refers to God who is at work. So the word is supernaturally by the power of God performing its work in those who believe. The verb means to work effectively, efficiently, productively on a supernatural level as energized by God. This book is amazing. This is what God says through Paul. This book, the word of God, effectively works in you who believe. And what he's saying is this, when you, when you open the Bible and you read it and you welcome it and you receive it and you believe this is God's word, that it works effectively, efficiently, productively on a supernatural level as energized by God. That's amazing. There's nothing else written by per people that is supernatural. Absolutely nothing. That's one of the great truths of the Christian life, that the word of God works in us. It performs effectively, efficiently, productively, and powerfully. Isn't that amazing? Listen to what the Bible says about itself. The Bible says that it will bless us in Luke eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. That means your life will be blessed and happy and joyful. It teaches us, 2 Timothy 3, 16, I'm going to paraphrase, all scripture, all Old and New Testament is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching. It is profitable for reproof and correction it is profitable for training in righteousness. It, is also, it also perfects and equips us that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not only that, but it guides us. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. 
Sometimes that light, that direction is a compass. Sometimes it's a GPS. I get more of a compass. Go north. Instead of go to this address. Sometimes this is how God works in my life. It counsels us. Psalm 119, 24 says, Your testimonies, meaning God's word, are also my delight. They are my counselors. Listen, if you need counseling, you should go talk to people. But ultimately, if that counselor is worth anything, they're going to point you back to God's word. Unless you have a, a, a physical issue. It revives us. Psalm 119, 154 says, Revive me according to your word. You need revival in your life. You don't need to pay a preacher to come from uh, California to fly in here and preach. Read the Bible. It revives us. It makes us fruitful. Colossians 1 said, The word of truth which has come to you is constantly bearing fruit in your lives. The reason you don't bear fruit is because you don't spend time in the Bible. And you know right now whether you do or not. Personally, on your own, how much time do you spend in God's Word? God's Word matures us. Peter says this, For we're to long for the pure milk of the Word, whereby we grow spiritually. God's Word warns us. Psalm 19.11 says, By the Word your servant is warned. It rewards us. The same verse that says, In keeping them, God's statutes, there is great reward. It judges us. Hebrews 4.12 says this, Talking about the Word that is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. He goes on to say this. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit. What else can touch your soul? What else can touch your spirit? Absolutely nothing but God's Word. It pierces, he says, to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, that's why if you're living in unconfessed sin, the last thing you'll want to do is come to church or read the Bible. Because God's Word judges us. It sanctifies us. Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. It purges and cleanses us. John 15, we're cleansed by the Word. It frees us. John 8, the truth shall make you free. It enriches us. Paul says to the church at Colossae, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you, leading you to all wisdom, Teaching, admonishment, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and thanksgiving. John, when he's not, he says it gives us joy in 1 John. These things that, he writes these things that our joy might be full. It protects us, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It strengthens us, Psalm 119 says again, my soul weeps because of grief. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. It makes us wise, Psalm 119 says, the writer of Psalm 119 says this, Oh, how I love your law, your word. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age because I've observed your precepts. And what the writer of Psalm 119 is saying is, it doesn't matter what your education is. If you know the Bible, you're the smartest person in the room. You are. You're wiser than anybody. You're wiser than anybody. Think about your finances. You can have a Ph.D. and be in financial trouble and have a credit score of 600 or less. Have a Ph.D. You can have a Ph.D. and have the worst marriage in the county. You can. Sure can. You can have a Ph.D. and be the most depressed person because of your own making. Not because of a health issue, because of your own making. Or you can read the Bible and be the wisest person in the room. Isn't it amazing how God can give you wisdom 
that a history book or a math book or a philosophy book, I, t- I did all those. Hey, I, I made good grades in school. Dean's list in college. I was a mess until I met Jesus and started reading this book. God says this about his, his word. He says this, it prospers us. The man who is in the word will be like this, a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. My goodness, why would you not read this book? Why would you not preach this book? The words of human beings, no matter how astute they are, no matter how brilliant they are, no matter how educated they are, no matter how wise they are, no matter how eloquently they might be expressed, cannot produce these results. Only God's word can. It performs in those who believe. And that is what the essential reality in the life of the Thessalonians. Their spiritual progress was the result of their reception of the word of God. Those who accept the word of God as God's word, those who believe what it says and appropriate it to their lives, will experience its ongoing transforming power. Where there is no believing, there is no power. The Thessalonians were exposed to the word. They received it. They accepted it in their hearts. And it went to work, Paul says. Thank God for what they were becoming because of the power of God's word. The third thing, real quickly, is this. It produces endurance. Notice what he says in verses 14 and 15. He makes this statement. For you also suffered the same. This young church was suffering persecution, and they were hanging in there. He says, you were also suffered the things, same things from your own countrymen who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ and their own prophets. Who killed Jesus? The Jews did. Real simple. It's just in the Bible. There's no debate. The Romans executed him, but it was because of unbelieving Jews wanted him killed. Not all of Jew, all the Jews, but the unbelieving Jews. They said, we want Caesar, crucify him, and they did. And he says, because of, he, he said he was God in flesh, and he said, they have also persecuted you. They also killed their own prophets. Isaiah was sown in half. Isaiah is called the fifth gospel. Isaiah 53 is one of the greatest pictures of Jesus Christ 700 years before he was born. They sawed him in half. Okay? Jeremiah the prophet, read about him. That's why he writes lamentations. My people would not listen. They threw me in prison. They did all these things. Jesus said this. He wept over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. When Stephen preached the gospel, they stoned him with rocks and killed him. The Jews did. And what Paul is saying is this. They're doing the same thing to you in Thessalonica. They hate you. They're trying to hinder you from preaching the gospel. And he says, but you're maintaining. Why? Because God's word, when you read it and hear it preached, is giving you endurance. Isn't it amazing how many people not leave church, but leave the church universal when hard times come? And I, many of you understand hard times, and some of you don't. But God's word will give you endurance. The ability to, to hold up under pressure. The word for spiritual endurance is this. Is this. The power to withstand hardship or stress, especially the inward fortitude necessary to keep going on. The song the choir sang was so good, wasn't it? I know I can make it. I know I can make it because of you and your word. They, Paul says, you guys are not giving up. You know the average church plant lasts seven years? wonder why. Because a lot of church plants rely on gimmicks and a praise band and not the Bible. And they don't ever make it. Want to be huge numbers. What does it matter how many people come? As long as they're coming to receive the word. 
That's what matters. James said this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Paul is saying this, You imitated those churches in Israel. You imitated those. And Paul says basically this. He says, I love you for it. I love you for it. Notice verse 15 in the, in the Bible. He says, those people who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets have persecuted us. Meaning Paul was co- counting himself as part of that group. And they did not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And then Paul says this. He puts a comma there. Now listen to me, unbeliever. This is what Paul says. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. See, God's word not only is, the Bible is not only God's word, not only does it change lives and produce endurance, it also promises judgment. Notice on the screen, what that word filling up to the sin means this, they've sinned to their limit. They've sinned to their limits. They've come to the end of their sin, and I'm stopping it. When, Paul, when God decided to flood the earth, he told Noah, my spirit will not always strive with them. Build a boat. I'm flooding the world. They've reached their limit. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, you've reached your limit. You've sinned to the full is what he said. And he stopped it right there. You know what he told uh, what happened to the, uh, the, the Jews of that day? This is what Jesus promised when he stood before that wonderful temple. I've showed you pictures of a remake of it. It was so white you could see it for miles. It was so white. Jesus stood before it and said, not one stone here is going to be left on the other. You know what archaeologists said when they went to, this, to dig up the temple? Not one stone stood on the other. Why? Because you don't hinder God's work and get by with it. That's what verse 16 says. To fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them. That's present tense. 70 A.D., look it up. The Romans came in. They surrounded the city and killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews. Jesus said, Woe to you who give suck in those days. Run to the hills. That's what he said. Good advice. They could have repented and and had that settled, but they had reached the limit of their sins. He says, Wrath has come upon them, present tense. But it also means future tense. The The world, do you realize that the world at some point is going to rack up so much sins that Jesus comes back? They're going to reach their limit. That's what that means. They're going to reach their limit. God's going to take the church, and there'll be seven years of God's wrath on this planet called a tribulation. God's going to remove you from that. And then there's eternal wrath. Eternal wrath. Okay? When you stand before Jesus one day as a lost person, and he says anyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire, and upon them will come God's wrath to the uttermost. You know the other time he used that word? In Hebrews, where God says that he saves to the uttermost. And God punishes to the uttermost. Which means all the wrath and damnation that he can give a person they receive. So let me ask you a question. I want you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed. As our musicians come, have you received God's word? Have you received God's word? Have you welcomed God's word? Do you believe in God's word intellectually and internally? If not, you can today by faith. To understand that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place 
and rose from the dead, and you place your faith not just intellectually, but internally in Jesus. Embrace Jesus today for salvation. And then, Christian, I'd ask you this question. Are you fruitful? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have purpose? Are you overcoming sin in your life? You can by reading, believing, receiving His Word. This is an amazing book. And I would encourage you today to make a commitment to spend time not only in church, not only in Sunday school, but spend time yourselves daily in God's Word. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, my prayer is if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, but Lord, today they would receive you and believe in you as the truth. And take what is they believe intellectually and make it internal and be born again for the first time in their lives. Father, only you can do that. And then, Father, as a church and as individual Christians, Lord, everything we need as a Christian is in your word. And I pray that we'd make a fresh commitment to spend time with you daily in your word and trust what it can do and the things that only you can do. It's a supernatural work that you do in our lives when we spend time in your word. Father, this is your time. These are your people. This is your invitation. And I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. again Christian don't raise your hand or any of that but make a commitment to the Lord today and say Jesus today I promise to spend more time in your word I promise to spend more time in church in Sunday school but Lord individually I promise to spend more time in your word and then if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus you can be saved today Jesus today I believe in you Jesus today I give my life to you Jesus, today I ask you to save me and to be my Lord and Savior. Father, we pray that you'd do a work in the hearts and lives of your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd do a work in the hearts and lives of any of those that are lost. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. And we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before you dismiss, uh, volunteer t-shirts. Justin has those. Please see him. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and would like to talk about that, please see myself or the staff after the service or this week, and we'd love to talk to you about that. God bless you, and you're dismissed. Thank you.